Tonight's New Testament reading comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 and 15 through 17, and 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 through 13. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Therefore, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Father, you have made it clear that you're the living God, and you stand behind your word. And so we pray now that you might give us the grace to meet your word with trust and hope and love, despite uh, whatever temptation each of us is facing right now. And we ask it in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. This week I read some research that came out of Northwest University, uh, Northwestern University, uh, the Kellogg School of Management, which is a, a pretty well-known program. And this is what they concluded, quote, People are not good at anticipating the power of their urges, and those who are the most confident about their self-control are the most likely to give in to temptation. Can a recovering alcoholic attend booze-saturated parties and stay sober? Can a dieter frequent his favorite dessert buffets and refrain from binging? Can a committed husband have drinks with a past fling without fear of infidelity? The answer is probably no. People have less self-restraint than they think, a false belief that often leads them to expose themselves to more temptation than they can handle. Now, that recent conclusion was reached a couple thousand years ago in the Bible. Um, And uh, it, it was reflected in one of the readings you heard. No temptation, or rather, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. But God gives us more than warning as we face our temptations this evening. He gives us help. He gives us hope, and that hope comes by way of the promises of God, which we've been studying. These statements, these promises that God makes, that he calls us to lay hold of and believe. One of the most discouraging things can be when a particular vice or sin in your life basically 
just is on repeat, repeat play. And you've tried this, you've tried that, you've done this, you've done that, and there's really been no success. And you just begin to lose hope. And maybe some of you uh, are in that place this evening. I've been in that place before. And so uh, what I'd like us to do is take the time that we have and look at how do we recognize temptation, but more so what sort of resources do we have for it with the promises of God. So let's look at those things together. First of all, this idea of recognizing temptation. Now, the Bible has different words that help us grasp this idea of moral wrong, sin. One word is iniquity. It really points to this idea of nature, that it's been there as long as we've been there. You know, as early as, you know, as you watch little kids as they grow up, just that little selfishness that you think, how did that come out? And then there's transgression, which refers to the act of sinning. And then there's sin, which is more of the habit or custom. And under these terms that give us insight, there are other terms that help us. One is translated in the New Testament, over-desire. Over-desire. And that is when you and I desire something, good or bad, so much that it rules over us. It takes over us. And in the reading we had, the first reading out of the letter of John, he basically points out three major areas where we experience over-desire. The first, he mentions, is the desire of the flesh. That is the desire for experience and pleasure, the endorphin rush, the high. The second one he talks about is the, the desire of the eyes. That's the desire to acquire, to possess to have. And then the last one he refers to is the pride of life, and that's the desire, the over-desire for honor and approval and esteem. Let's look at those briefly. First of all, the over-desire of the pleasure or experience, what he calls lust of the flesh. I don't know if you've ever found yourself fantasizing in some particular area where you have a desire What would it be like if I didn't have any limits or constraints in this area? You know, if I didn't have any money constraints, I didn't care about what society thought, I had no relational constraints. You know, you found yourself fantasizing, if I could just be let go, what would that be like? Me, I'm the only sinner in the room, but I have. Well, there's actually someone who lived that can tell you, I know what it's like. It was the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher. He may have been King Solomon, so to give you some context. And he shares his experience. He basically had no limits. He was that person you and I want to be. And this is what he says about pleasure. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's take it for a spin. Let's take it to the limit, as the song goes. I decided to cheer myself with wine. And I'm I'm just paraphrasing some of the things he did. I decided to cheer myself with wine. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I collected great sums of silver and gold. I hired wonderful singers, entertainment, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. He was able to have the perfect wedding, aside from the concubines, right? Perfect wedding. 
I had everything a man could desire. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. But as I looked at everything, it was all so meaningless. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, not many of us have had that sort of limitless credit card to do that. But we can still resonate with them, right? I mean, the third cup of coffee is never as good as the first sip. The pair of shoes you brought two years ago or the phone you bought two years ago doesn't look as good as the ones you saw yesterday. Right? It's just the same old, same old. The image that maybe aroused you doesn't arouse you anymore. The drink that got you, you know, it's just the same old thing. We can relate. And actually, this is a mercy from God. It's a mercy that we run out of that. That it hits its, it reminds us that pleasure has always been meant to be a byproduct and not the end goal. C.S. Lewis famously said that, uh, he said, you know, the stuff we enjoy, the books, the music, whatever it is, he said, really, uh, these things are like the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echo of a song we have not heard, news from a country we have not visited. What he means is they're a foretaste of something future. That's what they're meant to be, pleasure. A foretaste, an appetizer, not the entire meal. And then in our call to worship, you know, I love when I pick a verse to um, quote, and then somehow God has led someone who's writing the call to worship to put the same verse in there. This happens regularly, by the way. But Psalm 16, where is that place? In your God, in, rather, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want to set your desire on something, God says set it there. You can't you can desire God as much as you want, and it won't kill you. So, second one, an over-desire to acquire possessions, to have. Lust of the eyes. This could be a person, it could be object. I came across a, a phrase that I hadn't seen before, compulsive buying disorder. Anybody know what that is? What's the term we use? Shopaholic, right? Shopaholic. And there's different kinds of shopaholics. You have the trophy shopper that has to find the perfect gift. You have the spender that wants to get the most flashy things. You have the bargain shopper. Even though they don't need it, they're going to buy it because they can't pass up the, the bargain. Or you have the collector who has to have the complete set. And it's not just the buying thing. It's the whole process. It's it's the anticipating. It's the research. It's making the list. It's hitting the little thing to see that your card is full. And then it's finally getting it. But after that having and obtaining, a different experience comes. It might be shame. It might be anxiety because you didn't have the money. It might be conflict in your relationships. It might be debt. But you found that the lust to obtain... You succumbed to it, and it wanted to destroy you. Now, Jesus said there is something that we can make our passion at all costs. In Matthew 13, he told the parable of a merchant, a story of a merchant who found a pearl of great price, and he gave up everything to have it. And that pearl is the kingdom of God. 
And so you and I are to acquire at all costs the kingdom of God. That's what we were made to have. And then lastly, over-desire for honor or significance, the pride of life. When Meg and I were in seminary, our first semester, we were in a class together that was more of like a small group discussion class. And, you know, I had... I was sort of insecure going into seminary that I wasn't going to be smart enough. You know, I went to a music college, so we didn't... It was hard, but the point is, you know, there were certain classes you probably took that I didn't take. So I was insecure. And so we got in this class, and there were two guys in this class that were really smart. I just secretly sort of, you know, admire them. And at the end of the semester... Wouldn't you believe it? They came up to me and said, hey, we're thinking of starting a group together that meets weekly when we want you to be in it. I was like, wow, (laughs) this is great, you know, been accepted by the smart guys. So fast forward to two years later, uh, I'm in a class, um, which is a preaching class. Yes, we have preaching classes in seminary. And uh, I preached the sermon. It went pretty well. And we're meeting in our group the next week. And one of the smart guys says to me, Glenn, I have to confess to you. I just did not expect that sort of profundity from you. That's what he said. And I realized I was the dumb guy in the room. That's why they wanted me there. You know, the smart guys need the dumb guy there. You know, I, you know, I so wanted that significance and honor, and it just totally backfired on me. You know, and this isn't, it might be, you know, the significance you want in the junior high group, the students that you were in or you're currently in. It could be, you know, the the clique that you always want to be in that you're not in. It could be the room with a closed door. It could be, you know, that inner, Washington, right, is the prime place for this, where we lust for the pride of life. But we were meant We were meant to be in that significant honor place. It's called the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've actually made you and invited you into the highest fellowship you could be part of. And so that longing is met. Now, listen, we could talk about lots of other temptations. I'm just hitting three major categories. We could talk about the temptation to control, or a big one, the temptation to worry, right? We do a lot of that. We could talk about all these things. But what I want us to do is, can we get to the point where we admit I'm more vulnerable than I think for temptation? This is hard for modern people because modern people value freedom and autonomy. And so the idea of admitting I am vulnerable scares us to death. But unless you and I can acknowledge I need divine intervention, redemption... There's no way we'll ever actually make it beyond our temptations. This is the place that God has put us in. And it might be, well, and once you do, and I want to say that, whether it's your first time coming to God and saying, I am going to confess to you, I'm more vulnerable, I need you, or your hundredth time, I, I want to invite you to do that now. And don't wait anymore. Because the cost is too high. But once you do, don't be surprised if you feel worse about yourself. Now, this is one of the tricks that happens when you become a Christian. Maybe you've even thought, you know, before I was a Christian, or before I grew and decided to be serious about my faith, 
I felt better about myself. I actually liked myself better. Well, what's changed? Number one, you're more sensitive now to sin, which is a good thing and injustice. But also now you're a threat. You're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so you should expect that the fire is going to get hotter. And yet God, as I mentioned, doesn't just give us a warning. He gives us help and power. And let's hit that to round off the second point. Now, one of the verses that I've been mentioning over and over, and it's one of my favorite verses, is out of Second Peter that says, we escape our corruption and we participate in the divine nature by God's very great and precious promises. Very great and precious promises. So right there we understand that promises are key. They're really the beginning point. I don't know, when you think about temptation, where do you go? It might be, I need to do this action. I need to think this thought. I need to get in this accountability or whatever it is. All that stuff's important. You can't just stay in your head. But if you are not starting with the promise of God, you're just on another fool's errand. I mean, you know, you'll you'll burn out and then you'll try it again. What typically happens to us in temptation is, uh, when we're working in our own power, is we start by boasting... We don't realize it, boasting. And then we fall flat, and then we despair, and then we become cynical. And it might be that you're at a place where, like, you know, in this particular area of my life, I'm just cynical about whether I'm going to be able to grow at all. So God gives us these promises. Last week, we were sitting, um, getting ready to take this table, communion, and Pastor Mike said, uh, you know, affliction will rob your memory. Anybody remember when he said that? Affliction will rob your memory. And that's been staying with me the whole week because temptation will do that too. It robs your memory. So I want to put before us five promises. I'm not going to go long in each one. Five promises that you and I have to commit to memory because we're very much, temptation's like when the men in black show up with a neuralizer. If you've seen that movie. And they just wipe your memory. When you get into a place of temptation, you know, it's sort of like you don't even know the most basic things. Right? You're in that and we're just frozen. We're like, ah, ah, you know, God, I believe in God. What is it I believe in? Right? Because we're just too far down the road. So the first thing, promise, of a new domain. Of a new domain. Now, I don't know if y'all watch to remember there's a scene in the film the lord of the rings where frodo is in the cave of that nasty shelob the spider which is just nasty right block uh and he's been fighting this thing off with this light and finally he gets exhausted and just goes bam and hits the ground but immediately when he does he's like transported into this beautiful meadow And Galadriel, the elf queen, comes up and she speaks words to him and she lifts him up. And then before he knows, he's on his feet. Doesn't happen in the book, happens in the movie. But still, I think it's a powerful thing. (laughs) Right? J.R. Tolkien is rolling over in his grave when we tell these things, but that's okay. Um, But what I love about that is there is like a domain within a domain. He's in this domain of light and power within a domain of darkness. That's what it's like for a Christian. You know, we're told in the book of Colossians, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. 
And so if you get into faith, if you get into relationship with God through Jesus, what happens is you're in a new, a new domain. It might be that you're working, walking through the darkest part of your life, but you're still dwelling in this domain of light. And the only thing that can come crashing through that is what God permits. And we've already been told it can never be more than what you and I can handle. This is the promise of God that he gives to us. Second of all, we get the promise of new identity. New identity. Who you and I think we are in temptation matters so much. Listen to the voices in your head. If in temptation you're thinking, man, you're just weak, you're going to just give in. Or, you know, you've, been, you've done this forever and ever, there's never going to be a new start. Or, you know, really, I don't even think God really even knows you. Whatever it would be, you're thinking about yourself. This is why God spends so much time reminding us who we are. Why do you think he does this? You know, he says things like, you know, you are blameless, spotless, and like a bride in a wedding dress to me. Full of splendor. Think about that when you're in temptation. Or, you are light. This is what Ephesians says. You are light in the Lord. It's like when I look at you, you are just the sun. You are a beam of light. Think about that in temptation. You are a temple of God. You are a holy priesthood. These are the things. And you are accepted and righteous. Our second reading hits this where he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You know, But, you know, until we see God, we're still battling. We're imperfect. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is getting to that part of the gospel, right? Where Jesus Christ didn't just die for our sins. He wasn't just judged by God in our place for sin. But he had to live a righteous life. That's why he couldn't have died when he was, you know, three years old. He had to live and obey the law and come under the law. And by that, you and I become righteous. And he says he's the propitiation for our sins. And a propitiation is a sacrifice that turns wrath into favor. And so if you have embraced Christ, you need to understand you are no longer seen in a state of wrath. Only a state of favor. His banner over you is love. His smile over you is favor. Sometimes, you know, present sin brings back old guilt or debt. And we, you know, we really need to hold off on that. Your present sin does not bring back the past in the sight of God any more than paying off a former loan shows up because you've got to pay a new loan. It's been paid. But as important as it is that I want you to remember your identity, it's not the most important thing. It's actually to remember God's identity. Uh, A Puritan, Edward Lay, said this, God will show mercy not because you're good, but because he is good. Not because you can please him, but because mercy pleases him. And this this is what the prophet Micah says. He goes, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? He delights in steadfast love. He'll stamp our sins under his feet. He'll throw our sins in the sea. But why can you and I have to... This is where we've been going with this thing. In that moment in temptation, your outlet is, the, is God. 
It's not promises to yourself. It's not promises to your accountability group. It's not promises to your spouse. It's the promise of God to you. And so remember, we talked about the way we argue with God and we say, God, because you said this, because you're merciful. And so identity, thirdly, power eludes us. Um, You know, it's like we've been given the strength of Captain America, and but we, we, we act as if we're Steve Rogers, the weakling. Or to use a Wonder Woman illustration, it's like, you know, Wonder Woman has all these gifts. You know, I read recently that she can also communicate to animals. That didn't show up in the movie, by the way. So she's got a lot of things. But, you know, it's like she forgets that she, can, she has the power of flight. You and I have been given this power from God. I, I don't know how people have described you or the names they've given to you or the names you hear about yourself where you're being tempted. But let me tell you what they call you if you're a believer in the spiritual realm. This is the, these are the names that fly around about you. Instrument of righteousness. Super conqueror. Warrior in the armor of God. Now, when you're facing temptation, you might think, well, no, I'm just this. In the spiritual realm, whether it's evil or good, that's how you're known. Because this is what God has done. Why? Because we've been united to the king of kings who died the death of death. And his immeasurable power dwells in you and me. Fourthly, the promise. Now, every one of these is sort of on the individualistic side. And I wanted to bring in, I think, what's very important, which is the promise of God when he says the riches of his glorious uh, community of saints. Another promise of God is us together. That's one of the promises of God. You know, I, has, has anybody ever reached out to someone when they were being tempted and asked for prayer or help? Anybody in this room ever done that? That's good. That's good because I have to tell you, my pastoral experience, I have rarely seen someone overcome a serious temptation alone. In fact, many times when someone has finally just sort of gone off the rails and I get their story, I realize they really never told anybody. They never brought it into community. Now, you have to do it wisely, right? People you trust. But if you and I are going to get over, and I'm talking about the things that dog us, that really wedge in there, it's going to require you opening up to some people. I think I've told this story before, but when I was in college, I had a particular temptation that shamed me so much. And I remember finally going, I've got to tell a couple guys. And I did. I went in and talked to them. And once I said it, first of all, they didn't run out of the room. That helped. But it's almost like I felt change-dropping. It, it was such a change. And I realized half of it was a head game. You know, because half of what the enemy wants to do is get you alone. I mean, you know, he, you're no match by yourself. You and I need people that speak the truth. to You know, this is part of what this is. What are we doing? The worship service is so many things. So many things it is that are happening here. Many times we don't know. But one of the things we're doing is we're getting together once a week and trying to remind each other what's true. Because when we go outside the doors, it's really hard. 
Because we're getting a lot of narratives that are going to not say that. And I'm not saying there's not truth in the world or the world doesn't say true things, but you understand what I'm saying. God gets some airtime. His word gets some airtime. But lastly, reward. The promise of reward. You know, occasionally when we know we're looking ahead to something and the end's almost near, you know, I was thinking about if... if uh, I'm using another weightlifting illustration this week. This, this is the third. It sounds like, you know, that I, I, this is what I'm really into. Obviously, you can tell it's not, okay? It's just the thing that's come to mind. But, you know, that situation, whether you're running or doing something athletic or... Uh, but, you know, I've always been fascinated. You'll see someone trying to, like, bench press something. And they're, ah, they're struggling. And then the guy next to him, the spotter, will just put one finger. And then all of a sudden, it's... And you're like, how did that happen? One finger. You know, one finger of community, but it's this idea that I can do it. And so the future is kind of like that one finger. You know, we can think about it. These are some of the things you have to look forward to. For those that overcome, that don't quit. Clothed in white garments. These are some of the things that God says. Pillars of the temple of God, his people. You'll eat of the tree of life in paradise. You'll not be hurt by the second death. You'll be given a new name and you will share the throne of Christ. But to conclude, the, base, the, the best encouragement we have in temptation is the fact that we have the only Lord, the only God that has walked in the flesh and been tempted in all ways and suffered. And so, I could leave you with a quote. Whenever you face temptation, consider Christ. That he suffered temptation and can sympathize. He is your victorious captain, not ashamed to call you brother and sister. He has overcome the devil and his victory is yours. He will not lose any that the Father entrusted to him. He prays constantly and specifically for you as you're tempted. And those prayers are the prayers of the righteous man who can save to the uttermost. This is what God has given you and I. So this week, no news to you, you're going to be tempted. It might even be during this service, you're going to be tempted. And instead of us going back on whatever we get on, I, I want to urge you to start with a promise. The promise of a domain, an identity, of power, of community, and the future. And we'll pray, Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we'll find him answering our prayers. Let's pray. Thank you for the help that you give us. Thank you for your promises that are great and precious. Father, would you help us? Uh, We are this community together. We are a family together. You've put us together. We carry one another through these times. Uh, Bring to mind those that need prayer. But would you remind this particular people this week of your promises in Christ's name. Amen.